What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because your earning power doesn't have to stop with your paycheck. So you guys, you already know that buying low and selling high can be a quick way to multiply your money. But what if you could go out and find that profit from the comfort of your home? That's the promise of online arbitrage. In a nutshell, this is inventory that you order from one site to resell on another, sometimes often Amazon. And it's amazing to me that this is a thing, but it very much is. And to help school me on this side hustle is a longtime Amazon and e-commerce seller. He's the founder of cleartheshelf.com and oachallenge.com. Chris Grant, welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Thanks for having me, Nick. I appreciate you, man. All right. Well, I'm excited to dive into this and learn more about this business. The full text summary of our conversation and links to all the resources mentioned are at sidehustlenation.com slash OA. That's OA for online arbitrage. Well, Chris, maybe you can kick us off with a glimpse of what is possible. Maybe a glory story, a greatest hits, or you know, maybe a purchase of yours that really blew up, that you went big on, that turned out to be a, a really great ROI. One of the most recent ones that I can recall was not uh, was actually last Q4. And we just happened across a product that you could find it if you were walking down the aisles of your local pharmacy, of your local store. But of course, we happened to find the item while doing online sourcing. And when we found this product, we're of the mindset where you buy some product and you test it out. And of course, the first test did really, really well. And so then we went bigger and we actually did something called merchant fulfilling for this product where it was actually selling so fast that rather than send it into Amazon and allow them to fulfill the product, we actually fulfilled the product here from where we work, which happens to be from home and sent it directly to the customer. And once we tested the product a second time, of course, it continued to do well. And so then we knew it was time to really put our foot on the gas and go hard. Once we did that, we started ordering out every single product we could from every online store. And then it became a race to find even more places to purchase this from. And, and we did, you know, we found it from one place and then uh, we went to another online only pharmacy and we're, we were able to pick up some there. And then we found a health food site and we we're able to pick up some there. And throughout the entirety of Q4, which of course is October, November, and December, we were able to sell this non-toy product to the tune of about $140,000 in gross sales, all from the comfort of our home. And the margins were excellent. We were at about a 25% margin when all was said and done. Okay. Is that a common practice for you to say, okay, I'm going to make this purchase on a small scale, I'm going to do it merchant fulfilled so I don't have to kill time in sending it into the Amazon warehouse just to see how quick it turns, stuff like that, and then go in with the bigger purchase and then maybe do FBA if, if there's demand or if you, you get tired of going to the post office every day? The testing phase is very typical, yes. So I am someone who believes in going wide and not deep on products so that we can limit our downside risk. And then when we find a winner... We want to throw gas on that fire. Now, typically, I'm not one to merchant fulfill in most cases. I want to send things off to Amazon and allow them to handle the picking, the packing, and the shipping of the item to send to the end consumer. However, in some cases, like 
during COVID, when everything was locked down, things were a little bit different with what we call the buy box and merchant fulfilled sellers were getting more of it because we could actually send things faster than Amazon could. And so it was just kind of this perfect storm of, well, let's try this from home rather than sending it into Amazon like we normally would. And your margins are better that way, right? Because you're not paying the marketplace fee or you're still paying the marketplace fee, but you're not paying the fulfillment fees. Yes. Yeah, they can definitely be better. You still have to pay for shipping. So that ends up costing a little bit more, but your margins can be a little bit better if you know what you're doing. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about the sourcing. So if I am sitting at my computer after the kids go to bed, what am I looking for? Like, it seems crazy to me that I used to run a comparison shopping site and it was like, you know, where could you find the best price on your next pair of shoes? And today, oh, you know, I don't know what the stat is, but like, you know, most product searches start on Amazon. So if you find this, like in this case, the supplement product selling cheaper on these other sites, like other, you know, Amazon buyers aren't finding that necessarily. So they're not shopping around. And so that's what makes this whole thing possible. But talk to me about this sourcing criteria, you know, maybe in the early days and maybe how it looks today. Back when arbitrage was really becoming big and Amazon was becoming the behemoth that it is now, the sourcing criteria was really something based on what we call the rule of three. It was if you buy something for $5, then you need to sell it for 15 because you need to have $5 for Amazon fees and $5 left over in your pocket. However, as times have changed and sellers and the marketplace has become more mature, those rules have changed. And most people are happy with somewhere between a 20 and 30% ROI on their investment. What's powerful about Amazon is the speed at which you can churn your inventory. You know, a place like Walmart or Target, they're churning their inventory four, maybe five times per year, and they're incredibly happy with that. But if you're sourcing properly, you can turn your inventory over as an Amazon seller once or even twice a month if you're lucky. And with that kind of inventory turn, you can reinvest those dollars and those profits into even more. And that's how you can grow and scale fairly quickly as an Amazon seller. Are there any product categories that you like for new sellers? Yes. For new sellers, I think home and kitchen is a good category. I think that things like sheets and dinner plates and all kinds of things there, patio, lawn, and garden can be good. And then there are going to be some categories that are not difficult to get ungated in or be allowed to sell in that can also do well if someone's willing to take just a little extra time and put the work in like automotive or the tools category. Those can be excellent categories that people actually don't often spend a lot of time selling in because they don't necessarily think there's money there, but there is. What do you need to do to get ungated? I remember when I was doing the you know retail arbitrage and Home Depot was one of my frequent stops. At that time, you didn't need to be ungated in tools, but today you do. So what would be the process to open that category up to you? It depends on the category. So for automotive, for example, all you have to do is show that you have some sort of storefront and your own Amazon storefront actually does the trick. And then I think they require some UPC codes or, you know, a file or something like that. It's very, very simple. 
for most other categories, you need to take the time to actually get items from a wholesale source or a distributor in units of 10. So if I wanted to sell in grocery, for example, I would need to buy 10 units of a salt shaker maybe, and then show Amazon that I purchased it from a legitimate distributor. And then I should be ungated in that category. And most categories are pretty much the same in that you got to get the wholesalers. Okay, interesting. So even if you don't necessarily have any desire to go big onto the salt shaker distribution plan, you could use that as a foray into other sourcing methods. Like you can, then you can go source on other sites or other stores. Absolutely. Okay. You still doing much like in-store shopping, retail clearance arbitrage stuff, or is it all online these days? At times we have an employee who will go and do retail arbitrage for us. But personally, our time is better spent behind a computer and working with our virtual assistant and things like software, which make online arbitrage sourcing much easier and faster and more profitable. Really, you get a better return on your time invested rather than spending a couple hours in the actual store. Yeah, I was going to ask if anybody attempts to do online arbitrage without software these days. It just seems like there's so many different e-commerce sites to try and scroll through. And then to compare the prices manually, it seems very, very time consuming. It is. And I actually teach people to do this manually first, because I think that you need to know what a good arbitrage flip looks like before you go out and use a software. Because what a software is going to do is it's going to magnify either what you're good at or what you're bad at. So if you're not good at picking a winner manually, then allowing software to do the job for you typically does not yield good results. The other thing that manual sourcing gets, so if you and I spent some time on, say, walmart.com, for example, we could go in and we could find maybe some bundles or some multi-packs that software doesn't always pick up And that can give us some opportunity because a lot of people want to jump into this and go directly into using that lever in your business to free up time and resources. But sometimes the things that don't scale are actually the things that work really, really great. If I'm on walmart.com, do I just like look for the clearance tab or see what's on sale or something? Where where do you even start in this uh, giant catalog of inventory? Normally, what I tell people is I would actually steer clear of clearance items because those are available across the entire country. And that's where a lot of people would go first. I would actually say, look for sales that are happening first, because that's going to allow you to build an ROI. If I can get something today that is say 20% off, but that sale only lasts for a week and someone else finds that product next week, well, I've got a 20% head start on them because of the price I'm able to get. And then I would even look for items that are full price. There are plenty of items where people will just pay more for the convenience of having the item delivered to their doorstep within 24 or 48 hours that they could purchase at another place for cheaper. What's the price difference or percentage difference spread that you need to see between the price that you're able to get it for and then the projected Amazon sales price? It varies. So let's say, for example, that we were doing something in the small and light arena. So something that is 
rather small, usually under six ounces or so, less than half an inch tall, and uh, it needs to be under $7. Well, if I could buy that for a dollar or a dollar fifty, I'm going to have some margin on that pretty easily. I should be able to make a dollar or a dollar fifty on it. Now, once we get to some of the higher priced items, let's say I need to I source something for twenty five dollars. I'm typically wanting to sell that for around the forty dollar range, for at least for a couple of reasons. Number one, I need to pay for the Amazon fees. I want to have a little bit of cushion in case the price does uh, diminish a little bit or there's some price erosion. And then, of course, I also want to make a profit. Yeah, talk to me about the price erosion because it seems to me like if everybody is using some of the software tools, and we'll get into those in a minute, it alerts everybody that like, oh, you ought to go buy this. And all of the users of the software go and jump in, then there's this natural flooding of the marketplace that may happen and, and a downward pressure on price unless everyone is just super, super disciplined and like, nope, I'm just going to wait my turn for the buy box and, and keep it at this price. Yeah. And and people are absolutely not disciplined <laughs> in, in that way. Yes. So if you, if you do use things like uh, sourcing software, if you are searching the same places as everyone else, for example, everyone is sourcing Walmart with some sort of software because they have so many different products that you can purchase and tons of those products are also on Amazon. So it's an easy place to source. However, there are hundreds and even thousands of other sites that sourcing softwares can go after and other people don't fish in those ponds. So those are the places you really want to spend your time and you can find those products that are not going to see that downward pressure. But it does happen, you know, as someone, you know, maybe someone hears about it or uh, nowadays maybe there's a TikTok video about a product and of course more and more sellers jump onto it. And if the demand does not increase along with that supply, you're going to see downward pressure. And then you have a couple of options. Number one, you can cut bait and that's okay. It's all right to cut bait and get some of our capital back. Or number two, you can wait everybody out and try to sell the product at a profit once all the other sellers have sold through and forgotten to come back to it. Okay, okay. It's like, well, I'll just it, it's not going to turn as fast as I had hoped, but this was my target ROI, so I'm going to stick to my guns and and just wait a little bit longer. You could do that, absolutely. So for somebody getting started, uh, you advise this manual sourcing route. Any other things they ought to be on the lookout for? Like it just seems uh, very very daunting to do it that way. It can be a little daunting. And <clears throat> something I tell people is you really you do have to put in your reps and it's not it's not the most fun. However, it will yield results with some patience and you're going to learn a lot. It's kind of like basketball players doing wind sprints. They're not fun, but over time, they're good for you. And, and that's what manual sourcing will do. You make sure that you do this so that you know exactly what a good product looks like so that we can then go turn on some automation for our business and, and get some of our time back. Okay. I guess the first step that people will need to have is either a, a personal or professional level Amazon seller account, if you don't already have that, just so you can be able to see what your projected fees are and stuff like that. Yeah, you definitely need to have that because that would be the way to use the FBA calculator. And then there are some other tools that can kind of make things easier. 
One of my favorite tools happens to be RevSeller, uh, which is an on-page FBA fee calculator so that while I'm looking, let's say I'm looking at a product at Walmart, I can look at the product on Amazon, put in the, the numbers, and then it will spit out, here's exactly what you would make based on your fees and your cost to fulfill the item, et cetera, okay. so that I don't have to have a third window open. Okay, cool. This is a Chrome extension? It is a Chrome extension. Okay. All right. Now we're getting into the uh, the software stuff. I, I like it because this is, this is where it gets really interesting. I feel like tactical arbitrage has been mentioned on the show before. Keepa has been mentioned on the show before. Any favorites or, or must-have tools of the trade for you? The number one tool that you should have and absolutely master is Keepa. Keepa will do several things for you. Number one, it's going to help you make good decisions by being able to see the history of the products on Amazon and how well they've done. And it allows you to limit your downside risk. For example, if I buy a product for $5 and I can see on Amazon that for the past year, it has sold between $15 and $21. Well, I can imagine that going forward, it shouldn't go any lower than 15 and it's not likely to go higher than $21. So I know that I've limited my downside risk because that's the minimum I should see. If it goes a little bit higher than that, it's gravy. If it goes a little bit lower than that, then you know I can either hold out or I can say, okay, well, I'm willing to take a little less. The other thing that Keepa will do is it allows us to see the sales velocity with the bestseller ranks of the products. And it gives us an idea of how quickly items will move or how often they sell. Now, it takes a little bit of learning, but once you figure out how to use Keepa, it's an absolute must-have tool. Is there a target bestseller rank that you want to go for? Because obviously, you want to buy inventory that moves quickly. But if it's a screaming deal, you're like, well, if I'm going to triple my money, I'm going to sit on this for a little while. Curious, uh, what criteria you use on that front? It depends on the category. You know, for example, in grocery, I wouldn't typically sell anything over maybe a hundred or a hundred and fifty thousand in bestseller rank. But we have to remember that bestseller rank is just a snapshot in time. So we need to make sure we're looking at the history of the product and that that bestseller rank is usually around that area. So we can see that it, it's moving on a regular basis. Okay. And that's something that Keepa will show you, which is K-E-E-P-A, if you're trying to figure out how to spell that at home. And in toys, I would go up to maybe 250 or 300,000 in rank in toys. Beauty category, I've, I've gone up to, say, 350,000. But I typically try to stay within the top, you know, 3 or 4% of any category. And is there a way to show the total number of products in that category so you can get that metric? Yes, there is. Actually, if you if you Google Amazon sales rank chart, I should actually be at the top of the Google results. I put out a chart that tells you how many products are in each category and then what the top 0.5% and 1% and 3% in each of those categories is. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I feel like I made the mistake. I was like, well, this is a crazy deal. Like I'm, I'm going in on uh, on this. I'm going to buy this, but not really paying attention to the, to the sales rank at the time. It was like, well, it's, you know, 3,700,000. Like no, nobody's looking for this. Nobody's buying this thing. So I just sat there for months and months. And I think eventually it did sell, but it was it was not a quick turn on on that inventory. That was one of the very first mistakes that I made too. When I started sourcing, I had no idea 
what sales rank even was. I just bought it because it looked like it was going to be a winner. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is also sponsored by FreshBooks. When you're building a business that you care about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And I feel like this uh, almost constantly. But if you're doing all of the bookkeeping and invoicing on your own, that means you're probably spending some of that time on work that doesn't light you up. So FreshBooks specializes in automating and simplifying the annoying and sometimes tedious tasks uh, that come with running a business. Those could be tasks like creating, sending, and following up on invoices to tracking and managing your expenses. Maybe it's processing online payments. So last week you heard from Chris Mistrick. He gave the number one tip to build some systems, some automation, some consistent processes into your workflows. And FreshBooks is the tool to help you do that for freelancers, service providers, and agency owners. I've been a FreshBooks customer myself for years. I love to geek out on the numbers, so the reporting dashboard definitely appeals to me. But honestly, one of the best features is just being able to call them up for support when you have a question and talk to a real human. Side Hustle Show listeners can take FreshBooks on a completely free 30-day test drive. There's no credit card required. Just go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the Side Hustle Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to get some more time back to build the business you love. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. Okay, so keeping sales rank in mind, keeping the uh, target ROI in mind at 20 to 30% after Amazon fees and shipping, Keepa will show you the price history in an ideal world, a long history of steady price and steady sales rank. Any like red flags for you in this Keepa price history? There are some red flags to me. So one of the red flags is usually if I see a spike in the price recently. I always want to know, well, why is that? Is it going to be sustainable? Uh, Am I looking for this to come down in price pretty quickly again? And there are a couple of reasons you might see a price spike. Number one, it could be that demand has spiked. Maybe something goes viral somewhere. Uh, we're going to we're going to kind of go back into the we're going to reach into the way back machine. But maybe you happen to remember the lady who went viral for the Chewbacca mask. Yes. OK. Yeah. <laughs> OK. So the price spiked on that product to around two hundred dollars wow. uh, for a Chewbacca mask. And we were able to sell through maybe 80 or 100 of them before the price started to come back down. But that had a valid reason. So it took a little bit of research to figure out, well, why is this? price spiking. It also may spike just because 
maybe someone's repricing software went haywire and that price isn't supported by the marketplace. So when I see those kind of things, I really want to dig in a little bit more and make sure that I'm not pulling the trigger on a product that's actually going to cost me money. You know, people ask, oh, what's the webcam that you use? And it's like, oh, it's this Logitech C920, I think. And then early spring last year, right, like early pandemic time, everybody's working from home, needs a webcam. And this thing, which is normally 70, 80 bucks, maybe was like 250. And I was like, oh, I need to update my recommendation because that is way more than you probably need to spend on a webcam. But it was like that across the board. Everything was super inflated at that time just because of shortages, I guess, supply and demand. The pandemic has, it's caused a lot of interesting things in e-commerce. You've seen those kind of shortages across all kinds of products and especially work from home products. And last year, kids were even doing school from home. And so there were back to school products that were acting differently than they normally do. Uh, It's really been kind of a fascinating year and a half, two years to be an Amazon seller and and see what's going on in the world of physical products. So Keepa is kind of for after you have a product in mind, is is it tactical arbitrage, the the go-to tool for finding potential products to resell? It is the Cadillac of softwares for online arbitrage. So tactical arbitrage essentially does what a human would do. It will go out to the stores and it will compare the products at an online site. We can use Walmart as an example again, although I wouldn't suggest scanning them if you go get a tactical arbitrage account. Uh, And it will compare those products to the matching products on Amazon. If there is enough price difference where you can actually make a profit based on the filters that you've set up inside of Tactical Arbitrage, then it will spit out the data on the other end and allow you to then make a sourcing decision. And it'll say, okay, well, this set of hangers, for example, is $1.99 at Walmart, but over at Amazon, it's $9.99. So you might make a dollar on this particular item if that was within your filters. Okay. It does that at scale. So you can allow it to, in the time that we might go through 50 items on a site, it's gone through 5,000 items on a site and pulled out the winners. You have to plug in which sites you wanted to search. It's not like you just log in and here's like, you know, the top 10 list of things you should buy. Yeah, it's it's not that easy. You don't and you wouldn't want it to be that easy, to be honest, because then the prices would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes that makes me feel better. Yeah. So you go in and and there are sites that are supported. There's several hundred sites that Tactical Arbitrage supports. And uh, let's say, for example, you wanted to go to miniaturemarket.com. A lot of people don't know what that is. They sell toys like mostly miniatures for, say, uh model train stations and things like that. Okay. Well, you could go source miniaturemarket.com for these items, compare them to the items on Amazon, and then buy the winners. Uh, And maybe I instead am not interested in that. So I maybe would go to Walgreens because I want to sell things like supplements and beauty products. So I would focus on places like that. Oh, okay. Do people start with, you know, the niches that they're interested in? Like I go to REI or Backcountry or something and start searching there? That's what I like to suggest people do. And the reason is, is just because you're going to be looking at products that maybe you've looked at in the past, you're going to feel a little bit more comfortable. 
But once people get over that hurdle of saying, okay, well, I don't know what a good buy is and, and they're, they're more confident, then I suggest just using data and not worrying about what the product is. Uh, we just worry about whether or not Keepa and Amazon say that it's selling and it's selling at a price that we can make a profit. Do you mind sharing a little bit like under the hood, like what filters you personally like to use inside tactical arbitrage? I actually teach people how to use tactical arbitrage on a fairly regular basis. And I am of the mindset that you need to use a fairly loose set of filters. So, for example, one of the filters that I use with tactical arbitrage is the estimated number of sales per month. And I want to see a minimum of five sales per month on a product. Now, I probably wouldn't sell a product that only sells five times per month. However, I want to see that because let's say that I could make $50 on it. Well, maybe I would buy one and I would try to get one sale on that if it sells five times per month. I then put in there $1 in profit and a 10% ROI. Now, this is lower than what we talked about earlier, the 20 to 30% ROI. But there are some things that might move really, really fast where I would be willing to take a lower ROI. So I want to, I want to make sure that I'm not skipping over those items. And then one of the most important things, in my opinion, is it's a filter called also show reverse searches for more results. And what this does is it essentially throws out a net. So if I'm, if we're sourcing at Walmart and we're sourcing the grocery section at Walmart. Well, rather than just look at Walmart, Tactical Arbitrage is also going to check Target and HEB and several other grocery stores online. And if there are any other matches and it fits your filters, it will pull those back as well. So I don't have to just limit myself to Walmart. Maybe I could also get it at Target and I don't know, maybe they sell it at Walgreens as well online. Gotcha. So if you find a winning product, it'll show you where else you might be able to get it and the price it's available for there. Exactly. Okay. You ever raise the um, uh, e-commerce shopping cart red flags when you're like, I would like a hundred of these things. And they're like, well, sir, you know, our system isn't built for that kind of volume. Like, do you ever get any because we had people just last summer, we had Nathan Jackson talking about rolling into Kohl's and buying like $10,000 worth of bras in one trip and getting some sideways looks from the cashiers and the checkout registers and stuff. But anything like that, like you break the shopping cart software, you break the checkout system ever? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That happens on occasion. So uh, I'll give some examples. Number one, Target does not like it if you buy their loss leaders. So they have... Every Christmas, they have buy one, get one free video games or, or something along those lines. Well, if you go and try to buy 300 of those, they're going to they're going to blacklist you. You can't buy from Target anymore. OK, OK. I've had to talk to the fraud department uh, at a couple of sites. And Helen at Walgreens was an incredibly nice lady. And, and we had a conversation and I told her what I was doing and she said what she didn't like. And I said, okay, I won't do that anymore. And then other sites, they if they think that you are a reseller, they will just ban you outright. Now, it's not enough of the sites that you shouldn't do online arbitrage. You just, you kind of take the good with the bad and, and you find another place to go buy these products from instead. 
And that's always been one of my questions too, is like scanning the clearance aisles of Walmart. Like they have to know that people are doing this and what's to stop them from sending in their stuff to Amazon? Or like, I don't know if they can't sell, I don't know. It was just a weird thing, especially with the, with the software that's available with the smart repricing tool, like with all of the big data, everything like efficient markets and everything like that. How are you able as just an individual operator able to find margin where these stores can't? It's a weird thing, but it works. And so I kind of, that was my original experience with RA. It's like, I got to go test this out, like prove it to myself kind of a thing. And that may be the same thing uh, for people uh, to do with this um, online arbitrage stuff. So Tactical Arbitrage is kind of the go-to software. It does have, you know, kind of spendy on a monthly basis, depending on the volume you intend to do. But there is a seven-day free trial over there. And then this RevSeller Chrome extension may be worth a look as well. The other aspect that I wanted to talk about, because this is kind of interesting, and this, I think, can apply whether you're an OA seller or you're always trying to find the best deal. And that's like this discount stacking element of it, which is something that Nate Jackson from Hustle Buddies talked about too last summer. I was like, well, I got my Kohl's cash and I got my uh, credit card discount and I buy the discount card over here, like trying to stack up all these different deals. And I imagine every percent counts. Like if you can get it slightly cheaper, if you can bake in this other discount, if you get this cash back, can you speak to me about how that plays into it? And if tactical arbitrage or these other online tools will help you kind of bake that into your projections and your margins? Tactical Arbitrage absolutely does that. There are filters for the discounts that are available uh, that you want to put in there. So if there's a store discount, it's available. If there's a discounted gift card, if there's cash back and baking all of those in absolutely make your margins. So here's what you should do, in my opinion, if you're going out and you're looking for products to sell on Amazon. Number one, you find a good sale. Adidas actually just had a 50% off sale not too long ago. And then, of course, you go and you see if there are any discounted gift cards anywhere. Well, if there are discounted gift cards, and maybe we can buy a $100 gift card for $90. Well, that's an extra 10% off. And then maybe we can find some cash back from a place like Rakuten or Top Cash Back or something like that. Well, maybe we're going to get another 3% there. And then maybe we're using a cash back credit card. One of my credit cards is 3% cash back right now on my top spending category. So let's just say I buy mostly clothing and shoes with that credit card. I would get 3% cash back at clothing and shoes stores. Okay, okay. Well, once you build all of that in, it can be quite a, quite a big discount on a product. And that's where your margins can come from. I've got friends who they do enough just cash back online every month that it pays for mortgages and car payments and warehouse leases. Uh, so it, it can turn into quite a bit of money. That's the dream. If you can find a way to uh, spend profitably on these credit cards, even spending break even, uh, which was Amit Desai was on the show. He was like, that's how I started. I just wanted to rack up some miles and go on cool trips. And it's like, oh, I found out it was a huge bonus. So I could actually make money on this credit card spending. So that's really interesting. Do you consider that part of your 20 to 30% target, or that's kind of bonus? So I figure cash back as bonus because there are times when Rakuten or Top Cashback will forget to pay you, and then it just happens. But all of the concrete discounts that I know of, the, uh, the discounts on sites and the discounted uh, gift cards, those are absolutely baked into my ROI. Same with any credit card 
uh, cash back that's available. If I know that I'm going to get 2% cash back uh, on my credit card statement, then that would absolutely be built in. Okay. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences, with Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. I've used Raise in the past, Raise.com for discount gift cards Another site was, uh, I think, cashbackmonitor.com. It was like a kind of a, an aggregator of all the different cashback sites that show you, well, which one should you buy through? And basically how these work for this, just if, in case your interest is like, why is this store giving me cashback? These are all like affiliate sites. And they'll say, we'll share our commission with you. And sometimes it's, you know, one, two, three percent. Sometimes it's 10, 15 percent. Like it can be significant. I got on my most recent laptop from Dell, like, you know, on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, whatever it was, it spiked to like 15% cash back on top of their Cyber Monday sales. Like, okay, well, now is the time to buy plus 5% back on the business credit card thing through Chase. And it ended up being like, you know, a few hundred bucks, which was significant. So if you're going to make any purchase, major or minor, probably worth checking on uh, on some of these sites. I actually built a Chrome extension called Rev ROI. And what it does is whatever site you're on, you can click on it and it will tell you, well, here is the best cash back. Here's the best discount gift card. And if you are someone who's travel hacking or something like that, you can actually see which portals like Southwest or Delta, they have shopping portals where you can actually maybe get two or three points per dollar that you spend. And so we pull all of that data in there as well. Very cool. Rev ROI. That's a new one for me. 
Hey, so after the recording, Chris mentioned that Rev ROI is normally $4.99 a month, but he wanted to show Side Hustle Nation some love and give you access for free. The link to claim that offer is at oachallenge.com slash Rev ROI. Again, oachallenge.com slash Rev ROI, R-E-V ROI. Let's talk about the logistics side. So you're moving physical products around. You let's say, okay, so you've gone through, you've got your filter set up, maybe you did this manually, but you find something you think is going to be a hit. You want to go toe dip before going all in, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, firing bullets before firing cannonballs, like calibrate, calibrate. Okay, I'm in, found something that works. That stuff ships to your house and then you uh, you know stack it all up, box it all up. If you got you know several different products coming in, then you ship it off to the warehouse. Like tell me about the product logistics side of things. There's a couple of different ways that you can do it. So the first way is, yes, I can have everything shipped to my door and I can bring it into the house. I unpack it from Target and Walmart, and then I repack it into new boxes after I've stickered it and maybe put it into a poly bag to make sure that you know the customer gets it in good condition throw my label on it so Amazon knows that it's my product and not yours that's being sold. What's the advantage of doing that? Because when I'm like, I never, I never put labels or stickers on anything. And so it was just somehow they figured out that it was mine when it sold. I'm curious how that works. So you can do what's called manufacturer barcode and they will just take your items in and essentially they put their own sticker on it for you. The problem is, is that you have to rely on an Amazon employee who has 10 or 20,000 products passing through their hands every day that they don't make a mistake. So I personally don't, I don't want that to happen. I don't want, I don't want my product to be sold and a customer get your product. And maybe, maybe you're not as careful with the product and maybe it's open or maybe it's used. And then I don't want that falling on, onto me as my responsibility. Okay, because that could be like a a bad review for you or a a black mark on your seller record. Exactly. So I want to try to protect myself from that as much as possible. Uh, So I I make sure that all my stuff is labeled. And then it goes off to Amazon. They put it on their shelves. and, And finally, when it sells, it gets picked back up and sent off to the end consumer. What are you using for those uh, barcode labels uh, in home? I have a a Dymo printer personally. A lot of folks like Rolo. And then I always forget what the exact label is, but they're essentially the 30, 33 labels from Avery, just like you would use for address labels. Okay. Just a little barcode sticker and slap it on there, maybe polybag it. It allows them to make sure that it's yours that sells. Exactly. Now, there's another way that you can do all of this too. Maybe you don't have the time to touch products. Well, there's an entire cottage industry around prepping products for Amazon sellers. And so I can actually purchase something from Walmart or Target or wherever I buy it from. I can send it to a prep service. So, and maybe I even pick a place in a tax-free state like Oregon or New Hampshire or Montana. And then I don't have to pay the sales tax on it. And someone else handles the prep. They take it out of the boxes, they put your sticker on it, they put it into a box, and then they send it off to Amazon for you. So you actually never have to see any of the products if you don't want to. 
now you're speaking my language. <laughs> that, that sounds good. Plus, you know, 10% sales tax in California. And maybe if you apply for a reseller, maybe you get some of that back. But this sounds like a, an easier way to go. Of course, this doesn't come free either. It's like, what's a, what's a typical uh, charge? Is it per item, per month, per pallet? I don't know. How, would they, how do they charge you? You're typically going to be looking at somewhere between a dollar and twenty-five and a dollar fifty per unit that you send into them. So here's the way I like to think about it, though. If I am paying, and I don't know what uh, what your sales tax is. What what is your sales tax? It's probably ten percent or close to it. Okay, so if you're at ten percent and you have to pay a dollar fifty to have the item prepped for you, well, if you buy a fifteen dollar product you're going to save enough in sales tax that you actually pay for the cost to have the product prepped. That makes sense. That's really interesting. So there's, like like you said, this cottage industry that has popped up to serve Amazon resellers like yourself. It's been fascinating to watch it grow. And there's such a demand that most places have waiting lists that are six and eight months long to get customers in the door to use these prep centers. It's a service-based business. So there's going to be happy customers and unhappy customers. Anything that people ought to be on the lookout for when they're looking for a waiting list to to join or looking for a prep center to uh, potentially partner with? The biggest thing is make sure that there is communication. Uh, These prep centers, you need to treat them like they are a partner in your business because they're handling your inventory, which is how you now make money if you're doing online arbitrage after this episode is over. Yeah. So you want to treat them like a partner and make sure that they have good communication, make sure that you know what they expect of you and that you can, you know, fulfill their expectations. And then you want to make sure that they know what they're doing and and get back to you in a timely manner and things like that. And and that really is is all you can do. It's, uh, you know, just making sure you do good business with folks. Okay, I like that angle. Like, don't have to touch this inventory at all. Let somebody else handle it. And once you're doing a decent enough volume, it's like, oh, okay, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want this stuff all over my living room anymore. It's not worth the time. And then I don't have to pay this uh, sales tax either. Can you give me a sense of like a day in the life, if there is such a thing, or a typical week maybe in the life of sourcing? It sounds like, I mean, that's where you're making money. You can find profitable products. That's where the money is made in this business. And then going from there, just curious like about the time that you're putting in and what might be realistic for... Uh, for people to do as a side hustle? As a side hustle, I think that, you know, an hour or two per night can be pretty profitable. Now, of course, you're not going to grow from nothing to a $100,000 a month business, you know, spending an hour or two a night on it immediately. But as you learn how to source, as you buy profitable products, and then you learn how to replenish those products, and now you start stacking I sell this, I sell product A every single month and and now I'm selling product B. And so it kind of just stacks on itself over time. So, but if you're willing to set aside one to two hours every night and focus on sourcing, then you could make this into a fairly profitable side hustle. I think within five or six months, as long as you have the capital available to invest in things like inventory. Yeah, some inventory startup costs, probably some software startup costs, some Amazon seller fees, mm-hmm. startup co- you know, pro-level account startup costs. So not nothing, but you can kind of get off the ground pretty affordably. I think my first sourcing trips were like 
150 bucks, 250 bucks, maybe like, all right, this is my play money. Let's see what happens here. And, you know, able to to make all that back and then some for you these days, like, okay, so now you're, you become a full-time Amazon seller. Like, how are you spending your time? I spend part of my time sourcing. We also have a virtual assistant who does a lot of it for us. Uh, we had to outsource it because we also spend a fair amount of time on things like our software. And we also spend some time on teaching other people how to do this. Uh, and so that takes up a, a larger amount of our time now. Sure. But my time is typically looking over the lists from my virtual assistant. Uh, I also use things uh, called lead lists where other people source and give lists to Amazon sellers of things to buy. And then we spend most of our time buying, allow our prep center to handle things, and then wait for them to sell on Amazon and, and making sure like our prices are right and uh, you know any customer service that comes up, uh, all of that's taken care of. What's a typical month of uh, sales volume if the, if there is such a thing? We do about seventy five to eighty thousand dollars a month in sales because it's not our sole focus. We have several different side hustles, just like you teach. <laughs> well, that's still a pretty significant operation there, and, and really cool to hear. Chris, any surprises? Maybe products that didn't go the way you expected. I don't know. Any? I mean, arbitrage almost by definition implies like risk-free profits, right? But there's always risk involved when you're buying physical inventory. I'm curious if there's any missteps, surprises along the way for you. I don't remember a lot of the of the losses. I've always been pretty good at limiting my downside risk on the front end. And if something doesn't do well, well, I've only bought four or five of that particular item. And so I let go of it. I've never spent $5,000 on one single product and, and watch it go up in flames. Okay. You went all in on fidget spinners and then it just was not a thing anymore. Exactly. Because I've watched people do that and, and it scared the heck out of me. But some of the surprises have been the things that have sold really well. For a time, we sold way more adult diapers than I ever felt comfortable selling. And some of the things that you would never thought to have sold... Uh, are the items that just go gangbusters. Like I never would have thought to have sold calculators, but we did really well with those one year and trying to think what else we've done. I don't know. It's always the silliest toy or, or just weird electronic that just ends up going for $300 because it's, it's hard to find. It's an interesting uh, marketplace. Are you mainly focused on Amazon or are there other marketplaces that you like to, oh, if this inventory doesn't move, I'll throw it up on eBay or Facebook Marketplace, something like that? I will throw things up on Facebook Marketplace every now and again. I do a very little bit of eBay, just mostly electronics. Uh, you know, when it's time to get a new phone, I always sell the old one on eBay. Uh, I used to flip phones and, and MacBooks on eBay. And so uh, I still find that kind of fun. I am thinking about moving to a little bit to Walmart, uh, but I haven't taken the leap yet. Okay, uh, we've heard some uh, some rumblings in the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group that Walmart is a much more of a blue ocean in terms of the number of sellers, in terms of the competition over there. So um, maybe we'll have to do a follow up and see what's going on in the Walmart world. If you do uh, dive in there, you've got Clear the Shelf, you've got oachallenge.com. You've got Rev ROI. You've got the whole sourcing uh, operation. What's got you excited this year? What's what's going on? Where do you want to take this thing? The biggest thing for us lately this past year has been the OA challenge. It's been probably one of the most rewarding things that I have done to date. 
And it's essentially where we go for 14 days and teach people every single facet of online arbitrage that I've learned over the past 10 years or so of doing this. Some of the success stories that have come out of there and some of the people who have started side hustles to the Amazon side hustles out of the OA challenge uh, has been just incredibly fulfilling. And so uh, we're excited to keep that going over this next year. Oh, very cool. You can find that at oachallenge.com. Yes? Yes, sir. All right. oachallenge.com. Chris, thanks so much for joining me. Again, this is just a fascinating business for me, finding profit in some unlikely places. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. It doesn't have to be FBA related, just whatever entrepreneurial wisdom that you'd like to impart. Focus on going from zero to 10 and then 10 to 20. I think a lot of times we, uh, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook, we see people who look like overnight successes. But the thing is, is those people had to go up each rung one step at a time. And if we focus on that, it tends to, tends to make our success almost guaranteed as long as we're doing the right steps uh, and not trying to get ahead of ourselves and trip over our own feet. Yeah, I really like that because, yeah, you see people, oh, you know, I'm going to be a seven figure Amazon seller. It's like, well, first you got to sell your first product, you know, okay, let's like, let's get that under your belt then go up, do the next thing, do the next thing. I like that one, one rung of the ladder at a time and appreciate all of your calls to really minimize your downside risk because like any investment in product, buying product is an investment. It's like, you you know, rule number one, don't lose money, right? So uh, minimizing your downside risk. Chris, really appreciate you joining me. The full text summary with links to all of the resources, Chrome extension tools, and everything else mentioned are at sidehustlenation.com slash OA. Again, OA for online arbitrage. Big thanks to Chris for sharing his insight. Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this week. Freshbooks.com slash sidehustle to start your 30-day completely free trial of the number one bookkeeping and invoicing solution for freelancers and service providers. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.